So on this day, Siddhartha Gautama, who was a young prince in North India 26 centuries ago, became the Buddha. And that night that he sat under the Bodhi tree, the famous Bodhi tree that you might have heard about, he made a strong determination. Having left his life as a prince six years previously, he had reached a bit of an impasse in his spiritual search. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But he made a very strong determination, extraordinary determination. He sat on the May full moon under a body tree or in Bodhgaya, and he made the determination, I shall not open my legs, my arms, or my eyes until I become completely free of suffering and fully enlightened or death shall take me. And that really was an extraordinary determination. And then he sat and he sat through the night and in the final watch of that night on that day, that May full moon, 26 centuries ago, Siddhartha Gautama became the Buddha. Now, what that means, I shall explain. The significance of the event, I'll explain a little later. To this day, folk have gathered on that night and sat in remembrance of his achievement. And it's worthy of remembering what it was because it was a very significant moment in what he calls the world cycle, the appearance of the Buddha, who realizes for himself the causal cessation of suffering and thereafter goes on to point that out to others, that was quite a feat. So, yes, the Buddha, as I said, he lived a long time ago. I don't know how many of you know, but he was, before he became enlightened, a prince. He was born in northeastern India, and for the first 29 years of his life, he lived an extraordinary life of luxury and privilege. And um, he, he became married. He had a young child. And there wasn't a sensual pleasure that he did not have available to him. When he was born, um, his parents, the king and queen, had an astrologer read of his fate and the king was told that he had the uh, fortune to become a great unifying monarch or that he would become a great recluse and spiritual teacher and of course the king being the king didn't want his son to go off being a yogi and a recluse he wanted him to become a great king so they shielded and protected Siddhartha Gautama through his young life and they tried to provide him with every pleasure possible to keep him attached to his kingly um, heritage. But his karma was such in a previous life having made a determination to find a path that led to the causal cessation of suffering He'd worked tirelessly in the pursuit of that since the time of the previous Buddha in a previous world cycle. Now, I, I dare say to many of you, this all sounds a little bit far-fetched, but the actual life of the Buddha is true. He was a living human being. He did live as a prince, and 
again, on a May full moon, on what we call now Wesak Day, uh, it was on a May full moon that he went forth from his life of privilege in search of the cessation of suffering. Now, what was it that caused him to give up such an extraordinary life, we might ask? Well, he went out one day, he became restless at the age of 29. Um, he felt restless. His parents had kept him in these royal palaces and he hadn't been out the walls of his summer and winter palace. And he wanted to see something of the world outside. So one uh, day he called upon his charioteer, Channa, and asked him to take him outside the palace walls for a little excursion. And, of course, Channa agreed, and so off they went. And it was on that trip outside that for the first time he got a glimpse of life as it ordinarily is. He saw a number of things that had a profound effect upon him. He saw um, a sick person, and he had never seen someone who had been sick. He had never stopped to contemplate that this physical body was capable of frailty and decrepitude and that it could become sick and ill. And seeing this uh, ill person hobbling around on a crutch, he turned around to Channa and said, What is this? And Channa said, This is someone who is ill. They are sick. They are incapacitated. And not having seen it before, it had a great impact. And he thought, really, this is what happens to some people? And Channa said, yes, this happens to everyone. At some time in our lives, we all become sick. Anyway, that started him thinking and they carried on. And then they saw a very old person uh, leaned over, bent over with old age, and he turned to Chan and he said, what is this? What is this poor fellow? Oh, that is someone who is old, um, senior in their years, they're close to death. Old and decrepit, what is this? This will happen to all of us, said Channa. Goodness me, thought the Buddha, one day I will not be strong and virile like this. I will hobble around like that, finding it difficult to move from one place to another. Hmm... It had a deep impact upon him. And they went on further. And not long after that, they saw a funeral uh, procession with a body laid up upon a rack being carried through the streets to the place where it was to be cremated. And Siddhartha turned around to Channa and said, What is this? He said, Why, that is a dead person. Someone has passed away and their body will be cremated. They've passed away, they're dead, they have ceased to be. This also was something that, that Siddhartha had never contemplated before, and it weighed heavily upon him as they continued their journey. And shortly afterwards, they passed an ascetic, sitting quietly on the side of the road with his begging bowl. And he turned around to Channa and said, What is this chap? Why, he's an ascetic. He's gone forth into the holy life, seeking to free himself from suffering. Really, an ascetic. He's gone forth. He's given up his life in search of what? 
What is he in search of? With nothing, with no possession, sitting there on the side of the road like that? Anyway, these four things had a profound impression upon Siddhartha. And they went back to the palace. And that night, he couldn't sleep. And while he was up, pondering the experience of the wider world, he thought to himself, wow, this suffering, it's truly a part of life. And something stirred in him, whether it was a conscious remembrance or an instinct that got reignited in him, his previous determination to go forth and seek the cessation of suffering. And that very night he got up before dawn, snuck out, kissed his sleeping wife goodbye. And before she woke, and while her his young boy was still asleep, he went forth at the age of 29 in search of the cessation of suffering. And six years later, he achieved it. I'll tell you about that in a minute. After that fateful trip outside the palace, it arose in him that he should go forth and take to the holy life and seek the causal cessation of suffering. So he did. He went forth. He gave up all his possessions. He left his life as a prince and he wandered North India um, in search of a spiritual teacher who could teach him a path that would lead to enlightenment and the cessation of suffering. And in his early uh, wanderings, he came across, across great teachers and he became their disciple. And his first teacher taught him the yogic practices and the meditation practices for the development of what's called samadhi. Those states of very, very deep concentration that open our mind to the perception of the subtle realms or the fine material realms of reality. And this is uh, itself an extraordinary uh, meditative achievement. And those deep, deep states of concentration that we enter into that are called jhana or full absorption or samadhi bring about in us a profound sense of peace and many on attaining these states, would consider themselves to be free from suffering. Well, Siddhartha Gautama, he attained to these states under the uh, tutorship of his teacher very swiftly and showed such skill that his teacher turned to him and said, look, young man, you have skills way higher than mine. Please, will you stay and teach my students? You should be their teacher not me. But the Buddha made a reflection. Emerging from his meditation, he, he thought thus, he said, well, these states of absorption, though profoundly peaceful, though opening up a field of perception that is way beyond our ordinary, though it reveals to us many of the mysteries and secrets of life, it remains a fact that I emerge from my meditation and I get up from my cushion and I'm still subject to sickness, 
old age, and death. This is cessation of suffering that my teacher has taught me is only the momentary cessation of suffering. I am not seeking that. I am seeking a causal cessation of suffering, a path that brings finally to an end all suffering. And so he went forth. He rejected his teacher. Whilst extraordinarily grateful for the teachings he has received, he went on and sought further. Now, he did find another teacher who taught him a higher state of samadhi, even the one that he had previously learned, what we call today the eighth jhana. Now, the architecture of human consciousness is, is such that there is a level of concentration we can reach beyond which we cannot go. The mind becomes so profoundly still and undisturbed and quiet that it almost comes to cessation. And any quieter than that, any subtler than that, and it wouldn't be able to function as consciousness. So the point behind this is that there is a level of consciousness that is as high as any human being is capable of achieving. And the Buddha achieved that. It's called the eighth jhana or the eighth absorption samadhi. And I won't go technically into too much detail on that now. Suffice to say, it's a very lofty state of consciousness. And the Buddha achieved this, and his teacher was very pleased with how quickly he attained it. And as his previous teacher had done, turned to him and asked him if he would stay and teach his students. To which the Buddha said, no, this is not what I seek. Though it is profoundly peaceful, when I get up off my cushion, my meditation ends, I'm still subject to sickness, old age, and eventually death. And so he went forth, gave up the highest teacher there was. He walked away and went alone. And from that point, he wandered alone as an ascetic through North India. He did, over time, meet up with a small group of um, other yogis and they sort of banded together for a while and practiced together and they during that period the buddha tried to free himself suffering using all of the most extreme um ascetic ardent yogic practices of the time um he really did push himself to the limit to try to cut off at the root any remaining traces or capacity or tendency for suffering within him and he failed and he almost died in the effort he was so frail and emaciated you know he was eating only a few berries a day practicing ardently pushing himself to the extreme having sought the cessation of suffering through the indulgence in sensual pleasures as a very privileged young prince and realizing that that was no end to suffering he then went the other way to the other extreme and pushed himself through uh, ascetic practices and he did not achieve his aim and he was almost dead he was literally on death's door emaciated and pale and wan and one day a young maiden came from a nearby village to take water from the river that he was bathing with and she looked at him he was gaunt and 
just about to collapse with exhaustion. And she took pity on him. She felt tremendous compassion. She looked at the light burning in the eyes of Siddhartha Gautama and she begged him, please, please eat something. And she ran back to her house and she made a bowl of sweet rice and took it back and offered it to him, implored him to eat. And he saw the compassion in her eyes and he agreed. And he took that food and he ate it and he recognized the strength coming back to him and he thought to himself what have I been doing punishing myself torturing myself almost to the point of death this is surely not the way to end suffering this suffering that I've experienced here has been extreme and in that moment he decided to give up those uh, extreme austerities and seek what he called thereafter a middle way which I shall tell you about shortly. So yes, he he gave up and he left his friends and um, they were very uh, disappointed with him. They thought when they saw him eating this rice, they thought, oh, Siddhartha, he's, he's gone soft and they abandoned him and he really was alone. Our life is in our hands and the path out of suffering, it's in our hands. We only have to walk it and that's the extraordinary thing about the Buddha's teaching. You know, what he achieved for himself, he then went on to explain to another and to others who then realized exactly what it was that he had realized and for themselves came to know the cessation of suffering. So yes, there we are. So the Buddha had um, gone through his six years of austerities and yogic practices and become a recluse and an extremely accomplished yogi and pushed himself to his limit and almost died doing so. And so he gave up that extreme approach and he left his five friends in the forest and went on alone. And in fact, actually, it was they who rejected him when they saw that he was eating again and nourishing himself so. They thought he'd grown soft and they said, oh, look, Siddhartha, he's lost his way, he's given up his practices. And they went and abandoned him. So there he was. And then on that May full moon, he came to that famous body tree in Bodhgaya and he made a determination that night, I shall sit here under this tree and I shall break through this veil of suffering, this round of samsara, this wandering on and free myself of suffering finally. And I shall not open my hands, my arms or my legs until I do so or I shall die trying. And so he went into his meditation that night and it was during his meditation that the insight that showed him or that revealed to him the root cause of our suffering arose so before he 
before that insider rose in the final watch of the night, he did all of those practices that he had previously learned. He went into the deepest states of concentration and emerging from his meditation, he meditated on the body and the nature of the physical body. He looked deeply into it to see what was the ground for its arising, what are the conditions by which it arises the way it does, and he saw the four conditions for the appearance of the material universe. Um, he saw temperature, nutriment, consciousness, and what he called karma, or action energy, as the cause for the appearance of all material phenomena. And then he reviewed the mind and the way the mind arises and the way that consciousness functions. And in doing so, he saw the way in which the mind comes to cognize the experience that it's having and how that experience of what we perceive is so deeply conditioned by what we've experienced in the past. He looked at the way that the mind reacted with aversion and clinging, how it rejects some things and attaches to others, and on account of it suffers endlessly. And then in the third watch of the night, he reviewed the causal link, what we call dependent, what he called dependent origination, the creative process behind life that causes it to appear the way that it does. The causal chain of conditioning that causes the body to appear and on occasion become sick and frail and what is the cause for its dying and passing away and the way in which consciousness arises and what is the cause for the feeling of dissatisfaction and suffering that arises in our mind. He looked for what is the ground for happiness, what is the ground for peace, and what is the ground for suffering. And he came to see three things as fundamental truths that lie behind our life. I'll say a little bit more about those later. But it was while reviewing the nature of phenomena and this causal process of dependent origination that he saw the momentary arising and passing of phenomena, material phenomena, mental phenomena, that he saw these things arising in the moment and passing away in the moment without remainder. He came to see how transient and impermanent all phenomena are and how utterly conditioned all phenomena are. And it was while he was reviewing this, watching the passing away of his mind and the body in the moment that his mind broke through the perception of condition phenomena and came to rest on what is now called the unconditioned state or what he called the state of Nibbana, the non-arising of conditioned phenomena and the cessation of of their causes that brings the causal cessation of suffering. Now that's what Nibbana is. That's what it was. It was the seeing of Nibbana or the entering into the unconditioned state that freed the Buddha. And in that moment, all suffering was cut off in him. It arose in his mind that he was free. He knew that he had freed himself from suffering. There would no, 
be no renewed suffering, no renewed existence in a round of suffering for him. His wandering on had come to an end. And that was the moment at which he became the Buddha. The Buddha is a title. It signifies one who has freed themselves of suffering in the absence of a teacher or a teacher or a teaching that points the way. The Buddha freed himself. Now, he then went on to teach others who likewise freed themselves, but they freed themselves under guidance with a path to follow. So they became arahants, but what marked the Buddha as unique is the fact he worked the path out, realized it, revealed it for himself, freed himself from suffering, and not only that, he went on to teach the way to others. And that's what made him the Buddha. Amazing. <laughs>